0: No purchase necessary. VGW Group, Void where Prohibited by Law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court Justice
1: Hi, this is Josh Levine. I'm Slate's sports editor and the host of Slate's sports podcast, Hang Up and Listen. It's August 18th, 2016, and this is your Hang Up and Listen Olympics Extra. On Wednesday night in Rio, three American women, Brianna Rollins, Naya Ali, and Christy Catlin, swept the medals in the 100-meter hurdles, the first time ever that women from the U.S. had taken all three medals in any Olympic event. And the silly thing is, as David Epstein mentioned on yesterday's Olympic Extra, another American, Kendra Harrison, just set the world record in the 100-meter hurdles. Even though she did not qualify for the Olympic team, American women are good at jumping over things. Evan Jager of the U.S. won a silver medal in the 3,000-meter steeplechase the first American to get as high as a silver in the high hurtling and water jumping event since Horace Ashenfelter in 1952. You could kind of tell it was probably a long time ago, Horace Ashenfelter. Jager, who has long flowing tresses, had loaned a hair tie to fellow steeplechaser Emma Coburn the previous day, and Coburn went on to win a bronze after the race. He tweeted at Coburn, I'm not going to lie, I used the hair tie for the race today, I needed some of that good juju, to which Coburn responded, it's not the hard work and training and years of preparation, it's the hair tie. The Olympic taekwondo competition began on Wednesday, and the mat looks different than it had in previous years. It's now shaped in an octagon, a la mixed martial arts, ultimate fighting, because millennials love things that are shaped like octagons. The president of the World Taekwondo Federation said the octagonal mat is more athlete-focused and engaging for fans. According to Reuters, the traditional rectangular mat provided corners into which fighters could at times retreat and pursue defense-minded tactics. On Wednesday, a Portuguese fighter said the octagon means your opponents have nowhere to hide, the fight is more fluid, more active, so just imagine how nuts it would be in a trapezoid. Also on Wednesday night, NBC interrupted its primetime coverage at 10 p.m. Eastern, to air the following report.
0: The story that originally broke on Sunday of Ryan Lochte and three other members of the U.S. swim team being held up and robbed has taken some turns today with the Americans' account of what happened being questioned by authorities, and it's continued to evolve from there. With the latest, we go to Ann Thompson of NBC News, who's at Olympic Park. Ann,
2: Bob, this suspected holdup tarnished the reputation of Rio and the
0: Games. Now, Brazilian authorities have serious doubts about the American story.
1: This segment went on amazingly for 10 minutes, with NBC also having a reporter stationed at the Rio airport, where two of the swimmers who were supposedly with Lochte when the robbery occurred got pulled off their flight on the orders of a Brazilian judge. Lochte himself is already back in the U.S., and Matt Lauer was then brought in to describe a phone conversation he had with the 12-time Olympic medalist when Lochte told him he had not made up the robbery
0: story. He feels it was more of a traumatic mischaracterization. I think people listening at home might feel that was embellishment at the time, but mm-hmm. that's up for, to people to decide.
1: Now, as a reminder of what that story was, let's play the interview Lochte did over the weekend with NBC's Billy Bush, Billy Bush of Access Hollywood fame. Now, the audio here is kind of shitty, because they were talking on the beach, apparently in the middle of a wave, because they're Billy Bush and Ryan Lochte, so of course they were.
2: What happened? Who were you with? What time of night? Who pulled you over? Uh, I was with a couple
3: of Uh, we were coming back from the train's house, and we got pulled over in our... And these guys came out with a badge, a police badge. No lights, no nothing, just a police badge. They pulled us over. Uh, they pulled out their guns. They told the other swimmers to get down on the ground. They got down on the ground. I refused. I was like, we didn't do anything wrong. So. I'm not getting down on the ground, and then the guy pulled out his gun, he cocked it, put it to my forehead, and he said, get down, and I was like, I put my hands up, I was like, whatever, he took our money, he took my wallet, and then,
0: but he left your cell phone, he left your credential. He left my cell phone, he left my credential, but he took my wallet, and he took all the guys' cash.
1: The key quote here, of course, is, and then the guy pulled out his gun, he cocked it, put it to my forehead, and he said, get down, and I put my hands up, I was like, whatever. Joining me now, back from Rio herself, always one step ahead of the Brazilian police, it's <laughs> Mina Kimes of ESPN <laughs> the Magazine. Hello, Mina. Hey, Josh. How's it going? It's It could not possibly be going better. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, this is truly the story that this Olympics needed, I think, to take it to the next level.
1: So. This segment is going to be an instant time capsule about what the conventional wisdom on the Ryan Lochte situation was circa 10 a.m. Eastern on Thursday, August 18th, because as I was getting prepared to come in the studio, a tweet comes from ABC breaking Brazilian authorities tell ABC video shows, quote, U.S. swimmer, quote, breaking down gas station restroom door, quote, fighting with security guard. So this is a moving tar- target, obviously. <laughs> um, the story has evolved. When did you start to get suspicious that Billy Bush might not have gotten to the bottom of this story?
2: Well, there was confusion from the beginning, right? Because the USOC, and people are saying it was the IOC, but it was actually, I think the USOC came out and said, oh, nothing happened. We heard nothing happen from the athlete. So pinning that on Lochte, and then Lochte's mom, who I think is really at the heart of this. She's sort of like, um, who was that character in Serial Who Went Missing, the key witness? Um, Asia McLean. Yeah. So Ryan Lochte's mom is the Asia McLean of this <laughs> story, I feel like. So she came out, I, I think it was on TV, and said, no, 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 my, my son was robbed. And then everybody sort of had to recalibrate their stories, and you could feel sort of the gears shifting as people were like, okay, he was robbed. Lochte came out and said he was robbed after, I. it seems like maybe initially denying it to the USOC.
1: So I was responsible for Slate's early Locky coverage. I'll own that; it's on me. <laughs> and the headline we had was like, "IOC says Ryan Lochte, who was robbed at gunpoint, was not robbed at gunpoint." It was like, "Haha, look how dumb these, you know, international sportocrats are." They're basically saying this guy's mom is a liar. They want to make it seem like Rio is not as dangerous as it is. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you know, he did an interview with Billy Bush. We've got to believe this guy. And then the Brazilian police come out and say there's scant evidence. You know, we haven't been able to locate the supposed cab driver. They're coming back to the Olympic village and they look happy and joyous. And even at that point, and you wrote about this, Mina, you could argue that Brazilian police have a huge interest in proving that this didn't happen or making it seem like, you know, violence was not perpetrated Mm -hmm. against an Olympic athlete because this whole Olympics is supposed to be a showcase for... Rio and anything bad that happens hurts that image, obviously.
2: I still believe they have an incentive to cover it up. And, you know, it it literally like, I think a day after the whole Lochte incident, a British athlete was actually robbed. And that story kind of got buried uh, in this. So there's a lot of incentives here. And I think that's kind of what you have to do is parse out who's lying and why the Brazilians have every reason to make it look like Ryan Lochte was not actually robbed.
1: So that brings us, I think, to the media angle here. And NBC has been criticized for every Olympics. But at this one, you know, in particular for the primetime coverage, it's just like, watch the beach volleyball. There's nothing else going on here of import. And then last night at 10 p.m., they break in and do like it's a hostage crisis. (laughs) It's like all of the kind of grammar of like a serious breaking news report. They've got their correspondence stationed. It's like, you didn't do this at all for anything else that was going on in Rio that was more serious than maybe a swimmer lying about a robbery. And the whole thing just struck me as hilarious. But I was also just imagining back at like NBC HQ, just how pissed they must be that this is all happening after Lochte's events are over. Yeah. Because well, oh what, what kind of like rating boost would that have been if he was like swimming and you have the police, you know, next to lane one, just like <laughs> with a spotlight on him or something? <laughs> but the whole thing was just so bizarre on, on NBC's coverage last night.
2: I feel like this story is sort of a microcosm for the problems with the media coverage of the Olympics in some, which is that it was a story where the initial perception of, what happened was possibly overblown. So now we're talking about, oh, the US media is making it look like Brazil's so violent and it's actually not. Look, this American athlete was lying. Well, at the same time, there's this other robbery going on. There's tremendous violence and pickpocketing going on in Rio every day. So it's being exaggerated, but also undercovered in a weird way.
1: So the other kind of strange aspect of the NBC coverage, and I think of media coverage in general, is like, we're very serious journalists, Mina. You know, among us, we've won (laughs) many awards, all of them won by you. But (laughs) um, we're in this position now as journalists where I feel like the responsible thing is to speculate irresponsibly. This is like such a crazy story that it's not only just human nature just to try to fill in the blanks and figure out, okay, if he's lying, what actually happened? I feel like it's our duty as members of the media to just throw out wild theories. And this was true even on NBC um, last night. Bob Costas, who you think of as the most kind of like sober, I mean, I guess he does have a sense of humor. That's not quite fair. But he's not somebody, especially as the host of like the official Olympics person for America. He's not going to like go off half-cocked. But with Matt Lauer, they're going back and forth and basically euphemizing was Ryan Lochte with prostitutes.
0: And obviously you and I have no particular knowledge of this, but we know that the following thought is going through people's minds they can't reach a conclusion at least not a reasonable conclusion but maybe there's no criminality involved here on either side but there maybe is something of a personal nature that would have been embarrassing so someone concocts a story as people sometimes do to cover it up and, and i asked him about that pointedly i said i said ryan uh there are people out here there are there are skepticism that you made this story up along with these other swimmers to cover up some other form of embarrassing behavior, that, that this was more about some swimmers blowing off a little steam, going out and celebrating. That perhaps you were even with someone you shouldn't have been with. Mm-hmm. He stopped me quickly. He strongly denied that. Said it's absolutely not the
1: case. And that to me was so strange that even like on the NBC yeah. broadcast, people feel comfortable being like, "Was Ryan Lochte like robbed by prostitutes?"
2: Yeah, well, I was throwing out wild tweets like seconds leading up to this, so I'm in no position to throw stones at hilarious speculation. But I, I, I'm, i you know, like everyone else, I'm, I'm riveted and obsessed with the story because it does feel like it's still, even with this latest news about, oh, there was a video showing on a fight, I just still feel like it doesn't quite add up. And I don't know if I'm like a Ryan Lochte truther, but I still think something happened. Maybe it wasn't an armed robbery, but I still think he may have been victimized in some way.
1: So, okay, let's come up with a couple different theories here or like a taxonomy of theories. I think one theory, I'll go first, then you can come up, you know, fill in with, with one that you've heard or come up with. So one category is that Lochte told his mom this story for some reason. And we can fill in our own reasons. Also. This is the
2: biggest question to me. Why tell your mom? I don't even tell my mom if I, like, I, I mean, you know what? Like, that's that's what makes, doesn't make sense to me in all of this. Like, so if the mom is patient zero of the lie, which I think is true, why would he tell her anything happened? She wasn't with him. You know, she he could have just said nothing. So I, I think that is. The core question at the heart of Lochte Gate
1: right now. Well, look, I mean, the key error you're making here, Mina, is that you don't know what Ryan Locky's relationship is with his mother. They could have. I know
2: moms. Nobody exaggerates <laughs> about something bad happening to them to their own mom.
1: That's that's a great point because you know your mom is going to talk to Fox Sports like immediately. If I told my mom like I got robbed, she's going to talk to Fox Sports or
2: just be super annoying and like text <laughs> you and call you nonstop. <laughs>
1: Okay. So if I'm still allowed to finish, even though you have effectively dismantled this theory, (laughs) if I'm still allowed to finish, one theory is that he, for whatever reason, told his mom the story that is not true. She went to the media and rather than be like, my mom's lying. He was like, yep, that's, that's exactly what happened. You go mom. Like way to, (laughs) way to tell that to Fox sports and everyone. And I'm going to go back that up to, to Billy Bush. All right. So what's one other category of, of Lock D theory?
2: I think if what your theory was true, I think he could have easily just been like, oh, she misunderstood, you know, how moms are
1: or something. You're if it just was, like, so like- invested in tearing down my theory <laughs> that you're not. I've thought into
2: this <laughs> over the last 10 minutes on Twitter. OK, so, so yeah, my issue is like, if nothing happened, why lie to the mom? right? Okay, I, I don't think there's a logical explanation for that. So how do you reconcile this question of whether anything happened and why lie to the mom with A, the shifting stories, whatever, and B, this video that shows him fighting with security guards? I not, think not necessarily
1: oh, him, a US swimmer. So it could have been one, one of the people in his party. That's the part that I find confusing. I had never heard of any of these people, Before And I like follow the Olympics pretty closely. It's my job. There are these other three people on the U.S. swim team. I don't even have their names at the top. Like I would have to look up an article now. I haven't even retained their names at this point. (laughs) I am not convinced these people actually exist. They were supposedly on early rounds of relays.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's that's the thing with all these relays, right? You only remember, like, one or two guys. Exactly. That's why I think getting a relay gold is probably, like, the crappiest thing in the Olympics. Because you're like, yeah, I was on a relay team with Michael Phelps. But hey, anyway, so...
1: There was a fight, supposedly, at the at the gas station.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's a fight at the gas station. Okay, one, these are the pieces of evidence. Two, he told his mom something inexplicably to me. And then three, his stories changed a lot, which stuff coming out of the judge was like, oh, they didn't look that sad coming to the police station. And we've heard that kind of language before coming out of authorities. And I, I find that to be yeah. you know, super questionable. All these things add up to the fact that, like, I think something still could have happened he was just extraordinarily, extraordinarily messed up—like drunk, drugs, whatever. I'm not going to speculate, but it's totally possible that something happened to him. He was not able to provide a coherent—none ex- of these guys who are probably all in the same state—coherent explanation of what happened. He told his mom because something happened, and then realized he didn't want it getting out. That's what I think happened.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, the the reason you tell your mom is you meet up with your mom the next morning. And she's yeah. like, why don't you have any of your shit? Like, uh, I mean, my yeah. mom wouldn't use that language, but it's it's like, oh, yeah. Um, why, why weren't you able to reach me on my phone? Oh, yeah, I totally got robbed. And maybe he doesn't even know what happened. Like, I don't
2: think, he, yeah, he probably doesn't. Maybe there was a gun. He has like a vague recollection. Well, people on Twitter are like responding to me like, well, he had to tell her something. You don't tell your fucking mom that you were robbed. Sorry.
1: <laughs> That's okay. I mean, it's, it's a very high stress time. Um, <laughs> the, the important thing to acknowledge and think about in this whole situation is I was asking some of my colleagues this morning, who is another American figure who even before all this is just known for being dumb? Like, that's their thing, is that they're dumb. And maybe it's because my brain has been rotted by pop culture. But, like, the only thing I could think of is, like, Zoolander. I'm just imagining him (laughs) being in the interrogation room and just saying, like, so why male models? I just can't think of any other, like, real person who... And let's play a, a clip reel here. BuzzFeed put this together in 2012 of just excerpts from Ryan Lochte interviews. And I think this will... Help uh make make the case that I'm making here. I mean,
0: the reason why
1: I love swimming is because racing.
0: What defines me, Ryan Lochte. Yeah,
3: kind of, kind of stay under the profile, under the radar. I didn't, I didn't do that bad
1: at World Championships.
0: I've been get, you know, I bet Lochte knows how to have some fun. Oh, that's for sure. Seven times four. Twenty-one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, What I was always good at was letting things go through, like
1: through one ear out the other, so to say. (laughs) (laughs) That's so rough. That is pretty rough. And just keep in mind that the video goes on a lot longer than that. What defines
2: Ryan Lochte? He's like Hodor, where he just says Ryan Lochte, Ryan Lochte, Ryan Lochte, (laughs) or he's kind of like the Gerald Ford of swimmers.
1: So, so you're one of America's foremost experts. On The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. And my question is, is Ryan Lochte too dumb to be The Bachelor?
2: I don't think so. I think he's too dumb to be a contestant on The Bachelorette because he would probably get kicked off pretty quickly.
1: He's so attractive, though.
2: Yeah, he might make it after, like, make the first two cuts when it's mostly the culling of the, like, just Uggs. But um, I think... Actually, he'd be a great bachelor. I would. I, I didn't watch his reality show, What Would Lochte Do?, the worst named reality show ever. But my sense from watching just a few clips of it is that he would be pretty, pretty good as the central guy.
1: And what is your rationale for that? I well, need to dig ba- deeper. Yeah, here.
2: yeah. Sorry, I know. You, you call me the <laughs> foremost expert and I'm not bringing the X's and O's. So, you know, the, the key thing with being the bachelor, the bachelor, is you're really like a palette that the rest of the crazies can paint their batshit on you. So I think that he would just kind of sit there and let the women sort of bounce in, off of him and kind of be insane, and he wouldn't really react much. It's it's a very, um, you know, sentient kind of thing.
1: So Jezebel did a list a couple years ago of 10 reasons why Ryan Lochte is America's sexiest douchebag, and he has a catchphrase, Gia. <laughs> is
2: that how you say it? I, I Gia. I've never- yeah, I think so. Is it just mean? Yeah,
1: yeah. So yeah. he has put that phrase on like he likes to applique it on things. Like he's a crafter, I guess. So he has a pair like of rhinestone encrusted sneakers that he designed for Speedo. This that sentence just got way more confusing. The more this words, the more like words it. I added.
2: I find that incredibly charming.
1: Yeah, and he put "ja" on that. Uh, he also enjoys drawing surrealist nature art, another pair of shoes that he has, say Ryan on one sole and Lakti on the other, which kind of helps your Hodor theory a little bit. Um, what's my name? Okay, good. (laughs) Just got to check the bottom of my shoes. Oh no, they stole those. What am I going to do? It's like how when
2: you go to camp and your mom writes your name on all your stuff, (laughs) like your undies. Ryan Lochte like lives that life forever.
1: Do you have any any ID? I do have yes on the bottom <laughs> of my shoes. It says my name. It's a legal ID in Florida. Uh, <laughs> I feel like we need to find. Oh, a, right,
2: he went to Florida. Sorry, yeah, he's just like that's so perfect. I'm sorry.
1: I feel like we need to kind of execute a uh, a smooth like dolphin kick flip turn to somehow get out of this segment. So, I guess the thing to do here is speculate irresponsibly um, just in keeping with the tone of the rest of our conversation. It does feel like I was I was half serious at the beginning of the show. It does feel like this is going to come out today. Yeah, like the dam is breaking
2: for sure. By the time this podcast (laughs) we're done, it's probably we're going to learn that like Ryan Lochte was never in Brazil ever (laughs) to begin with. He was a hologram.
1: And we didn't even mention that he dyed his hair light blue. Well, Mina, this has been a real a real pleasure. (laughs) I feel like we solved a lot here. And I I do feel like Ryan Lochte's mom is the key. Will she be the first to crack? Tune in anywhere but this podcast later today. Thank you, Mina Kimes, ESPN the Magazine. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. On Wednesday night, Elaine Thompson of Jamaica became the first woman since Marion Jones in 2000 to win the 100 and 200 meters in the same Olympic Games. And since Marion Jones was stripped of her medals, Thompson is officially the first woman to pull off the double since Florence Griffith Joyner in 1988. Given recent history, it shouldn't be a surprise that a Jamaican pulled off something historic in the Olympic sprints. Here is David Epstein, a writer for ProPublica, and the author of the book, The Sports Gene, to tell us a bit more about the Jamaican system that creates athletes
3: like Thompson and Usain Bolt. Once again, Jamaican sprinters are putting on a show at the Olympics. Their four gold medals so far have come in some of the marquee sprinting events. The men's 100 meters, Usain Bolt, of course, the 110 meter high hurdles, and the women's 100 and 200 meters you might be wondering where a tiny island nation of 2.7 million people is finding its talent. I visited Jamaica a few years ago to learn about its sprint development pipeline. I came away feeling like it's pretty similar to the football development pipeline in the United States, except for the Jamaican high school level would be more equivalent to the U.S. college football level. The Jamaican National High School Track and Field Championships, known on the island just as champs, is the crowning entertainment event of the year. 30,000 fans pack the national stadium over several days, and all of the pros and Olympic medalists are there cheering on their old high schools. The competitors are divided into age groups, unlike in American high schools, where everyone's in the same competitive pool. And young runners who do well in the sprints can earn instant local celebrity. When I was there, I visited a Puma store that was selling shirts branded with some of the best high school track teams. And just as in American college football, the Jamaican high school track system comes with boosters. People who keep an eye out at local sports days at elementary schools and middle schools, looking for any barefoot 12-year-olds who might win races in the grass and hoping to persuade them to come to a favored high school. If a kid shows speed it's pretty hard for them to get out of sprinting in Jamaica. Even Usain Bolt was intent on becoming a cricketer until he was steered in the sprinting direction. Jamaican high school track also has some of the other features of American college football. On one of the days of champs, I visited the warm-up track to talk to coaches of local high schools, and they kept telling me that in recruiting, they weren't allowed to give families refrigerators anymore. I hadn't even asked, so I can only assume they had had a refrigerator-giving recruiting scandal. Still, one oddity about sprinting in Jamaica is that up until about 2008, pro sprinting wasn't really popular at all. Sure, Jamaicans cheered their team at the Olympics, but really all the focus was on youth track. Pro races played to almost empty stadiums, while national championships for eight-year-olds could draw thousands of fans. In 2008, the rivalry between Usain Bolt and Asafa Powell started to draw a lot more attention to pro meets. And a prominent Jamaican coach started demanding that meets for younger runners also allow opportunities for pros to compete in full stadiums. Combine that with the fact that two really strong training groups coalesced in Jamaica, so that Jamaica's best sprinters didn't have to come to U.S. college teams anymore, which often over-raced them in an effort to get points for a college team, not necessarily the best development for Olympic hopefuls. Of course, one other key to their success is Usain Bolt happened to be born there. But that was a real stroke of luck for him, too. In what other country in the world, other than Jamaica, would a six foot five teenager with blazing speed be pointed toward the track instead of, say, a football field or a basketball court? Maybe the Bahamas, maybe Trinidad, but not most places around the world. Jamaica's lucky to have Bolt and Bolt's lucky to have Jamaica.
1: David Epstein is a writer for ProPublica and the author of the book, The Sports Gene, Inside the Science of Extraordinary Athletic Performance. Now it is time for my after torch. And on Wednesday in Rio on Copacabana Beach, America's sweetheart, Carrie Walsh Jennings, won her fourth beach volleyball medal. This one, a bronze with her partner, April Ross. She hugged everyone. She high-fived everyone afterwards. It was a very emotional time for all of us in the United States. Carrie is just, she's one of us. She's the greatest. But I want to bring your attention back to a beach volleyball moment that you might have missed. It was on the first day of competition a week and a half ago. And it was a match between China and Switzerland. And I am going to read from a Washington Post article here. Um, this is describing the way that match ended. China called for a review on a net fault on a match point against Switzerland in the third set and appeared to win the challenge.
3: For Air to keep Switzerland in it. She's denied. And eventually it goes down. It's Vez Dupree who puts the ball on the sand. Well, there's going to be a challenge for a net touch by Switzerland. Well, I think there'll be a question here, Will, there. The challenge has been given a successful. And now, Lucy jui has come down off the stand, And as far as she's concerned, it's all over. The first referee is having none of it. And China have won the game.
1: There is a challenge system in beach volleyball. I'm going to repeat that. There is a challenge system in beach volleyball. I used to be in favor of instant replay, of challenges, of whatever you wanna call it. You wanna get things right. We have the technology now. We have high definition. These things are important. Let's just get the calls right. Let's not make fools out of the referees. Let's not have a game decided on a bad decision. I was totally wrong. I have never been wronger about anything as a sports fan and a sports pundit. I've turned a total 180 or a total 360, as Ryan Lochte would say, on the question of instant replay in sports. And the beach volleyball thing has completely sold me on my correctness. As my colleague Justin Peters wrote in an article on Slate on Wednesday, the value proposition of beach volleyball is it's in the sun. It's on the beach. It's like being inside a Corona commercial. And we can all remember that Corona commercial where the guys on the beach towel and then they instigate a replay review to see if the beach towel has been laid out properly and whether there's sand encroaching on it, whether the like sweat that's on the bottle is properly, you know, sweating and and dripping. This is not on brand for a beach volleyball. You are a Corona commercial act like it. If you watch the clip on NBC of this beach volleyball controversy, it is five minutes long. They stopped the match for five minutes to determine whether a player had gone into the net. The whole thing is just completely absurd, and it's a plague across the entire Olympics. There's challenges in field hockey. They call it a referral system. There are also challenges in tennis that I think that one's OK, but, you know, just trying to create a larger, uh, number here to help bolster my case. There are challenges in fencing, there are challenges in indoor volleyball. The director of beach volleyball for the international federation, Angelo Squeo, said, we want the game to be more transparent. We want the players to be happy with the decisions. We want the game to reflect what happens on the field of play. Well, that's one argument, I guess. I would say that challenges are on brand For the NFL, which takes itself so incredibly seriously, where coaches sleep two hours a night, where they have these play sheets that look like they're basically the nuclear codes. They carry around red flags where people just get so agitated about anything that happens that, you know, is not precisely according to plans or according to the rules. Fine. Fair enough. NFL like have an extremely self-serious challenge system. Baseball, I think it's bad. Beach volleyball, it's beyond bad because the entire point of having a sport like that in the Olympics is to bring in a younger audience. You have like skateboarding coming in next. You have sport climbing. Are they going to attract younger viewers by doing instant replay of skateboarding to determine whether an ollie had actually been an ollie, whether the like nose grind had actually grinded across all, you know, 862 centimeters of a handrail? The issue here is, and the director of Beach Volleyball said this, I cannot imagine now for a moment going back, players are happy, maybe spectators are happy. Well, that's certainly not true because the match doesn't end on a mistake. It's an essential device. And that's the issue. There's no going back. Once you have instant replay, you can't say, oh, okay, now we're going to be reliant on just really inaccurate, subjective calls from a referee. Just this kind of illusion of certainty. It's also on sand. Who the hell knows what happens? It's on sand. The illusion of certainty. We're never going to be able to go back. Beach volleyball has been ruined forever. And uh, I'm upset. We'd love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at at slate.com. Also gather links to the stories we discussed at slate.com slash hangup. Subscribe to Hang Up and Listen on iTunes. You can find us by going to itunes.com slash podcasts. When you're there, leave us a comment and a rating. Become a fan of Hang Up and Listen on Facebook at facebook.com slash hang up and listen. Our intern is Laura Wagner. The producers of the Hang Up and Listen Olympics Extra are Afim Shapiro and Dan Bloom. The executive producer of Slate's podcast is Steve Liktai. Nandy and Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. Hang Up and Listen is part of the Panoply Network. Check out our entire roster of podcasts at itunes.com slash panoply. Remember Ralph Metcalf, and thanks for listening. That was incredibly fun.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I'm just going to say that all day. Yeah.
3: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?